0: When we're looking for a romantic partner, we're usually looking among strangers, either bumping into someone while about our mundane days like in a rom-com, or at a bar, pub, and club, where our inhibitions are lowered. Of course, there's also apps. In our quest for an ideal partner, we have mental checklists. Mine was intelligent, funny, kind. Imagine if we approached this search like a marketing team seeking the right target audience. Smart individuals might gravitate towards book clubs or intellectual gatherings. Kind-hearted souls may be found volunteering. And the funny guys might be at a comedy show. Perhaps adopting this strategy could be a more effective way to find our compatible partners. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season we will be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson asks humanity to turn away from fear as it is the root of all of our unhappiness. This fear is deeply ingrained in us from a young age where the focus in school is often on competition rather than kindness. The consequences? fear. For example, failing a simple spelling test. The fear of not performing well leads to a lack of security, doubts about getting into a good school, securing a decent job, and ultimately feeling safe in life. It may seem illogical, but these thoughts form a cycle that perpetuates our fears. Williams' argument revolves around the idea of a collective unconscious, a force of love or God that binds us all together. Empathy takes center stage in the book, reminding us to understand that grumpy or hurtful individuals often shield themselves from past traumas. The key to breaking free from the shackles of the past and experiencing the true joy of living in the present lies in forgiveness, much like boundless joy exhibited by children. In a world overwhelmed by fear, a return to love serves as a poignant reminder that love and surrender have the power to lead us towards a more joyful and compassionate existence. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we have a very special guest on. His name is Shane Kohler and has worked in personal development and transformation for over a decade. He's led seminars throughout the US, personally coached hundreds of people and created a framework for singles to consciously create a lifelong committed partnership with their ideal partner. Shane is the co-founder of The Living Relationship, author of Our Life Together, a couple's journal and a creator and host of the Conscious Love Podcast. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I first wanted to celebrate with you a little bit. I saw in your podcasting that September 20th is the mark of your very first episode last year. So congratulations on almost a year of podcasting. Thanks so much.
1: That's awesome. You know, I didn't even know that.
0: (laughs) I wanted to ask, like, what in the year of talking to yourself and to your audience have you learned?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) I mean, I've learned a lot. You know, I feel like I'm always learning and every, I think what, what I love about doing my podcast is that uh, you and I were just talking about it, how mostly it's me speaking versus having guests. I do have guests as well, but something I love is like, I learn so much just by connecting the dots
2: as I'm Mm. speaking,
1: as I'll I'll pick a topic and maybe come up with a few bullets that I want to speak into on that topic. And then from there, I just kind of let it flow. And as I'm, sharing as I'm speaking on these things. It's like the dots are connecting for me. And, you know, it's like, a, I guess we teach what we need to learn or whatever, right. but like, it's like I'm learning as I'm sharing. And it's really a, a cool exploration for me now.
0: Right. Especially your longer form. I've seen like most of your episodes are like an hour, or 45 minutes, and that must be almost like a therapy session, a self-run therapy session where you just deep dive on a topic and figure out, like, oh, I actually have a lot more to say than I initially thought.
1: It's funny. Yeah. Like I'll I'll look and, and like an hour will have gone by and I'll be like, oh, shoot, I got to wrap this up soon. I <laughs> Get to you know.
0: (laughs) Well, that's very cool. But we know that you are a dating expert. But what were you like when you first got on the dating scene? When you first entered, what was that like?
1: When I was was dating myself, yeah. So I I mean, I was a mess to be to be honest. It was. If we're going to get into that, I should probably share a little bit of background on just kind of my story in general. So you know, growing up had like a lot of trauma. My dad is probably like a full-fledged narcissist mm-hmm. um and i grew up in a pretty like edgy household So you know, my, my dad was the kind of person where one day he was great the next day he was a loser like, he never knew what he was to get right and so i was like always kind of living in that unpredictability and you know sometimes he would flip out on me i wouldn't even know why he was flipping out on me and there was like no no way to like rationally speak to him about it i would be like no like let's just talk about this. He'd be mm. like, no. Nah. You know, he, just, he was right. There was no, no argument. And so that was kind of where I came from. And my dad was also an alcoholic, a lot of drugs, and this is kind of the environment I was exposed to. So by the time I was 18 years old, I was zero self-worth, heavily addicted to drugs. And all of that kind of led me to a point where I ended up in jail when I was 18. Wow. So I was in jail for a couple of years. Fast forward, you know, I, I got out of jail... Shortly before my 21st birthday and I kind of found myself, my dad by that point left the state, I, I called him when I got out of jail. He's like, hope you have a nice life. See you again one day. Like, wow. All the support I got from him. I was just kind of found myself in life alone. You know, like where do I go from here? Right. Right. And so that was when I entered the dating team to give you context. Wow.
0: I, think, I can see why you said you needed to give me some context first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's where I was and um and you know i mean dating was one part of many aspects of my life right i had to i had to get a job i had to get yeah. my life to, like i had to basically build everything from the ground up i had nothing and so that was that was kind of where i started and what i would say about that is that the relationships that i had at that time in my life were a reflection of kind of that starting i'd say the first person i got involved with after that was i was 21 she was 40 there was wow. uh, you know I don't want to say too much about her but I'll, I'll say that like you know there, there was it was not a healthy relationship at all and she had a lot of stuff going on that like you know I just realistically like I did not need to be involved with her right mm-hmm. but I had I had such low self-worth I had this feeling that nobody would ever love me I had this right. feeling that you know like she was the first person who I had had shown me any interest in. and I was kind of like I got to hang on to this and mm-hmm. so and it wasn't all her fault. I mean, I was involved too, but like it was a complete nightmare situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was with her for about a year. I, I got to a point, and this is probably like a huge breakthrough. Being alone is better than it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And So I, I actually chose to leave that relationship. And that was, again, like a big breakthrough for me. It was a huge step in that, in that choice for myself. And I think that was probably one of the first bricks being laid in like my own self-worth. You know? Right. Like I don't know what I deserve, but I know it's better than this. Yeah.
0: When you left this relationship, were you able to make a clean break right from there?
2: Yeah. Well, she was.
1: She was the kind of person like she held absolute power in the relationship. Mm. She, there was like no vulnerability on her end. It was like you know, I would I would try to connect with her on like a heart level. And there was there was no like vulnerability. In and so, um, when I, when I ended the relationship and I just, I actually ended it over a text message, we had been, we had been fighting back and forth and stuff. And it just got to a point where I said, have a nice life.
2: Mm. And those were
1: my last words to her. And she never responded to that. And that was the end because she wasn't the kind of person who was going to be like, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Please come back. You know? So right. if I left it there, I knew I would never hear from her again. And that's exactly wow.
0: what happened. Uh. Well, it sounds like you have grown a lot from that situation. Even the way that you're talking about that relationship, you take responsibility for your part in it, and it seems like you've very much forgiven uh, her for her part.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I hold nothing against her. Like it's,
0: you know, like when I look back at
1: that time in my life, and it was like even her friends were like, "What the hell are you doing, my Mm. friend?" Like, "What the hell are you doing?" Like it was, it was not her fault at all. Like. I mean, she, I don't again, don't want to get too much into her story, but, you know, she had a traumatic background. She had a hard life. She had developed in this way for the reasons that she had. Mm-hmm. But I was the one who was choosing to, like, hold on to her,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? I was consistently being treated for I, I definitely forgiven her. I mean, I don't, I don't hold it against her at all. It was, like, she was a reflection of my own self-worth. And that's, that's on me, not on her. Right? Mm-hmm. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's bring this around to the book that you've Brought with you today, A Return to Love. I can definitely see some of the themes already coming up. When did you initially find this book?
1: It had to be like 10 years ago or, or probably more at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So, the book, and Marianne Williamson, the author, she's probably one of the most well known teachers of A Course in Miracles in the world. So, A Course in Miracles has been like such a foundational work for me and it's been something I've studied for the last probably 12 years or so and it's been just a huge part of my life like I, I think everything I've learned and taught over the years has largely been founded in the principles that are put forth in a course in Miracles and so a return to love I, I found that book around the time that I first discovered the course hmm. and I started um, you know looking at different features of the course and Marianne Williamson is one of the Probably the most famous. Um, and so I, I found her and I started reading some of her books. I think that that was the first book I read of hers. You know, uh, do you know what A Course in Miracles is? Or, I'm not
0: you know. familiar with it, no.
1: So if, if you read it, it, it reads kind of like the Bible. Like it's yes. just kind of dense. It's, you know, it's, if, you, if you've never heard of it before and you just pick it up and read it, it's going to be like reading Greek. Her book, A Return to Love, really breaks down the course in a very digestible way in a very like understandable way of applying showing how like the principles in the course translate to kind of everyday life situations. So mm. that book was very pivotal in helping me understand like what the course is actually saying and what it all.
0: I see. So that was something that you discovered ten years ago. Did you end up completing the course as well as finishing the book?
1: I did, yeah. So um I'd say the book *A Return to Love* was a big, a big part of helping me understand the course. And I did go on. So, the the Course in Miracles has a year-long curriculum,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. one lesson every day. So there are 365 lessons. You start on. You could start anytime, but you start on January first and go straight through the year. Following reading the book, or, or maybe alongside reading the book *A Return to Love*, I started also studying the course. I did do the 365 lessons.
0: a a lesson every single day. It's great in terms of having a commitment, but that also seems a bit overwhelming to, I don't know, a lot of the concepts that she talks about there, I'm imagining were reflected in the course and they're very reflective and deep ideas. So I can't imagine mastering that one lesson in one day and then moving on to the next, I might feel like you're moving a little too quickly through all these important lessons.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: it's, it's designed to be done that way. And, Mm -hmm. and there have been times where like, honestly, I've, I've gone through the 365 lessons, I think three times now,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and there have been times, especially not so much the first time around, but I think like the second and the third time, where I really said, you know, I want to sit with this lesson for a few days. And mm. so I would. Mm. So honestly, when I've done it, it's taken me a lot more than 365 days, it's probably taking me about 18 months or so. That makes um, more sense. I, I think it, it is okay to go through it at your own pace, but the, it's, it's designed to be like a mind training.
2: Mm. And
1: so what, what it is is like throughout the course of a year or, or 18 months or two years, however long you spend with it, it's like little by little training your mind the world differently day by day by day. Mm. And so that's, I think, really where the power in it comes is, is not in conceptually understanding a bunch of information, but more in gradually having your perception shifted just slightly mm-hmm. day by day by day by day by day, where a year later or two years later, everything looks different.
0: It's been a decade, so it might be a little bit hard to remember. But were there any topics or lessons from the course or from the book that changed your perspective more than some of the other lessons? Anything that jumped out at you?
1: I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, and I guess we can kind of talk about A Course in Miracles and A Return to Love. They're kind of one and the same thing. Marianne Williams herself has said, A Return to Love is a quote of Miracles for Dummies. It's, it's, to give someone context, it's kind of like, you know, if you read A Return to Love, you're basically getting a Cliff Notes version of what, what I I think the, the message there really is, is that only love is real. Mm. Everything else is an illusion, right? And so the idea is, is like, we're, we're made of love. We come from love. We are really here to, to give and share love. Like, that's really the only real purpose in life. And what happens is here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and say it's kind of the antithesis of love, but we become afraid. And so to the degree that we hold fear in our lives is, is the degree that we will not be able to access love. And if, if you look at the world and, the, condition it's in and you know, the, the way we treat each other and the war and the poverty and the way we're destroying the environment and all this stuff, but like, these are all manifestations of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, like if look at, for example, the fact that we're destroying our planet. You know, and and what is really the driving force behind that is, is it's like profit, right? And people are putting profit over the environment or over the, you know, planet. Right. And so if you really look at what's going on for someone, like what, what kind of consciousness would someone have to be in to literally destroy our home? And like and like the home for future generations, just to get their hands on like some profit, mm-hmm. and like there has to be such a deep fear in that person that like they're not going to be okay. That like they need to control, they need to have power over other people, right. they need to accumulate billions and billions of dollars because they just feel so insecure right. and so un- that the only way to feel okay is to have all this money and all this power and all and and like. The fear is so great that they're willing to do that at any cost, mm-hmm. right? Even if I destroy our planet, even if there's no home for our children, right? Like my fear is so great that I have to do it anyway. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what happens is when we, when we have fear in our minds, it prevents us from accessing the love that we are. And so what, what the book actually teaches is it's like an undoing of that fear a recognition that we are inherently safe, like a recognition that we, like the universe does provide for us. We don't really have to provide for ourselves. I mean, you know, we, we got to show up to life. we got to do our part and participate. But the universe really does provide for us. Like, We don't have to be in control of everything. We don't have to know how everything's going to work out. We don't have to manipulate in control circumstances. Like we can literally just show up every day, live our truth, live our passion, and allow the universe to provide for us. Mm-hmm. And so, and when we, when we can really surrender into that and, and choose to live that way, then what happens is like fear is gone. There's, there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. And so what can come through is, is love. Mm-hmm. And then in that place, and this is what the course says is like, the only real purpose of this world is to like love, heal, and bless And that's, that's really all we're here to do. And once the fear is gone, we see that clearly. And then we just spend our whole life doing it. In the dating world, there's a a conversation of like, I need to get a relationship to be Mm -hmm. okay. Oh
2: yeah.
1: And so rather than people really living a life authentically from their truth and allowing whatever love is going to show up as a reflection of that to naturally come into their lives, feel very afraid, very insecure, very unsafe, very unloved, unworthy. And they go out and try to manipulate and control all these circumstances to get someone to love them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so it's the way I apply it to the dating world is, is very similar. Is like, let all of that go. Let your fear of, am I going to meet someone? Is, is it going to happen for me? Am I going to have, you know, my family that I want? Like, you know, all, and all this attempt to try to control it and force it and make it all happen. Like let all of that go live your life completely from love mm-hmm. and and allow the universe to reflect the love that you are back to,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: And that's, that's my method for manifesting a relationship, right? And mm-hmm. it works because when you, when you are putting love out into the world, you know, you, you may not be playing into all the superficial stuff that some people want to see, mm-hmm. but what you are going to do is you're going to cultivate a presence within you that touches people's hearts. And when people feel you, touching, I mean, not everybody, not everybody's open to it, but the right person is going to feel you touching their heart in that way. And they're going to say like, I I want more of you.
2: Mm -hmm. Like I want to be
1: around you. I want to spend time with you. I want to feel that what I feel with you. I want to feel that more. Mm
2: -hmm. Right.
1: And so when you live your life from love, it's it's just a fact, like love is going to be returned to you in every possible way you can imagine. And it's really a matter of releasing all the fear of, am I going to be left alone? Am I going to miss out? Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? It's really a matter of releasing all of that, living in the confidence that I am worthy. I am made of love. I come from God. like all is well in my life. And all I need to do is be happy and share love.
0: I've looked back in my own dating life and the relationships that didn't work out was partially because I was hiding a piece of myself. I didn't want them to see who I truly was because the fear of them disliking who I really was is worse than them not liking me from whoever I was pretending to be. Um, Yeah. And letting people in is really scary. So totally agree with you there. You mentioned earlier that your father was a narcissist. Do you believe that narcissists also have the ability to live in this way that is Less destructive for the people around them. That's that's a
1: great question, I and mean, I'll, I'll say I don't necessarily know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I think it could probably be very individual. You know, I think, I think miracles can happen. You know, mm-hmm. and I think somebody can suddenly have a realization and feel like, oh my god, like, how I've been living my life, right? Um, I think that can be possible. I. I also think that like our journey is not necessarily just about this one life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So ulti- ultimately in, in the big picture, I think we're all returning to love. You know, we're all returning to where we come from and what we're made of, which in my view is God
2: mm-hmm. or
1: whatever you call that, right? Source, universe, whatever. But wherever we come from, whatever we're made of, ultimately we're all going back to that. And we're all at kind of different stages on that journey. Right. So, right. I think that somebody that we would say is like a narcissist or really living in a very low level of consciousness, a very self-centered level of consciousness, a very fearful level of consciousness, Um, they may need to spend a lifetime there, Mm -hmm. or they may need to spend many lifetimes there, Mm -hmm. but ultimately at some point, somehow, some way, that's going to break and they're going to wake up and they're going to choose a different experience for themselves. Whether that happens in this lifetime or another one, I, I don't know. But to answer your question, like I think it's possible. Um, and I, I think some people who are in very, very low levels of consciousness, they're not going to suddenly snap out of it and transform. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a gradual process that could take a very long
0: time. This book is very religious. I'm personally not. Um, but as I was reading through the book, I just saw the same themes of all the other self-help books that I've been reading. It's this message of love, of acting not out of fear, but out of choice. So for anyone who might be turned off by that, I'd say you can definitely look past those layers and you can use the another word, like you said, like a higher power or like the universe instead of God, if that's what you believe. Because I think at the end of the day, that core message is really important. I When I was looking uh, at your Instagram profile, that's how I came across you in the first place, uh, you mentioned that you work particularly with women, and I was wondering why that was the case.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I've, I've asked myself that many times. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I think it was kind of like, it was just what I was called to. It was, you know, when I was... Sitting there and thinking of um to give you a little bit of background so i used to work for a, a large seminar training company and i would be leading these like four or five day trainings around the country and um you know like on stage seminar type trainings and then during the pandemic all of that shut down
2: mm.
1: i was um i had i already had a coaching company that i was doing on the side and um and so when that happened i, I really like sat down and reflected on Like what do i want to do moving forward right and that was kind of when i started my instagram and started um my youtube channel and you know started getting in this direction and i i guess just kind of at that time what spoke to me was i I really wanted to serve women and, and helping them find really healthy conscious relationships and then over the years i've really thought about like why you know why that and um i think it has a lot to do with i I was raised by a single mother. So I shared a little bit about my dad, but I didn't meet my dad until I was 13. And so um, I was raised by a single mother and then I think I I started to become quite rebellious and a little bit more than she could handle and Mm -hmm. I was getting into a lot of trouble and things like that. So she ended up sending me to go live with my dad. I had never really met him before. I talked to him on the phone sometimes, but I hadn't really ever known him. So, you know, going back to like my childhood, I was raised by a single mother. I have four sisters um, they're all younger than me, all my sisters. So I think I kind of had that big brother, like, protective mm. thing going on. Um, and, you know, when, when I was young, my mom was a college student. I was, she was 19 when I was born. And so, like, growing up, she would, like, drop me off at, you know, her the dorm while she would go to class. Or she would drop me off at her friend's house. Or, like, really my whole life I was surrounded by women. Mm-hmm. I I think I've just, I have great relationships with men too, but I I think I've kind of always enjoyed the company of women more than men. And honestly, I'll I'll say like my experience is that there are obviously exceptions, but my experience is that women tend to be a little bit like deeper, Mm. a little bit thoughtful, a little bit more emotionally available. And so I I think when it comes to coaching, I really enjoy working in that environment, which is I do coach men as well, not as much, but when I work with when I work with men, I feel like there's a little more like kind of pulling teeth, like yeah. get them to up and so I, I think I love how women are just kind of connected and available and you know, they, they want to share, they want to connect. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that's that energy.
0: Yeah, I totally understand that as well. I also coach, I coach communication and yeah, the, the guys sometimes They're a little bit too cool to tell you exactly what the problem is. And I feel like with women, once you gain that trust, it's floodgates. They are willing to share just like a passing thought. They're like, haven't shared this with anyone. Would you like to hear this? And that's where you can really get the work done because they are, they tend to be a bit more flexible when it comes to new perspectives and introducing new ideas. And that's always a bit more exciting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, working with women, are there any common themes that you find women struggling with dating nowadays in the modern world?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, culturally there's a big difference between the impressions that young boys get around like love and relationships
2: mm-hmm. and the
1: impressions that young girls get around love. So, you know, young girls, they're like, dressing up in white and pretending to walk down the aisle and, you know, with all their stuffed animals walking and things like that. <laughs> and, and, and boys are out there like shooting each other with toy guns and stuff, you know, for, for women, like from the time they're very young, there's kind of this cultural expectation that they're going to get married. They're going to have a family. They're going to be a mother. And I know not all women choose that for themselves or live into that, but that's kind of the expectation you get put on, the, on the young girls. While young boys are, like it's totally okay for them to be a bachelor well into their forties. And like, there's not this like expectation that they're supposed to get into a relationship and get married and all of this. So what I've found is is the the biggest challenge for for women and women also have, I hate this term, but the, the biological clock. right? And so so many women are, you know, not only feeling this expectation that like I need to meet someone and get married or have a partner, also, like, I'm running out of time if I want to have a family. So, I feel like those are really those are kind of the two things that put women in a really difficult position in dating because there's so much scarcity, mm. right? It's like, and they're looking around like, my friend got married, my sister got married, but it hasn't happened for me. Like, right. What's wrong with me? Why isn't it happening? And I, And I'm running out of time and, you know, it needs to happen soon. And it really shifts their whole perspective on the situation where they approach dating from a lot of fear, a lot of scarcity of, you know, scarcity of love, like, am I lovable? Am I wanted? Is anybody going to love me? Scarcity of time? Like, is it going to happen in time? And and so they're largely driven by this scarcity and Mm -hmm. it creates, it doesn't help, right? Like it, it, it actually ends up being a hindrance. The very thing that they're seeking, they end up pushing away because they're taking it. Or they,
0: they can't even see it because they're so hyper fixated that yeah, your peripherals disappear when that happens.
1: Exactly. exactly. So I think that's, that's if I were to boil it down to one thing, like I think that is really the, the challenge for women in the modern day. Mm-hmm. Kind of Whereas, and it's, it's heightened by the fact that men are like, I have all the time in the world. Right. If this doesn't work out. I'll find someone else. Like, you know, men just don't have that same kind of thing going on. And so when a woman starts really showing up with that scarcity, men kind of feel like, well, I'm not in a hurry here. So, you know, if, if that's what you're looking for, maybe you should just find someone else. And right. So it, right. it's it's a very difficult position. Like, I'm very sympathetic to it. It's incredibly you know, navigate that.
0: Right. And a lot of the times when I'm listening to my male friends, when they're talking about relationships, like you said, they are not as on mu- as much of a time crunch. And they also feel like they need to be able to provide a certain level of financial security before they get into those serious relationships. And then once they have achieved that, they haven't seriously dated. Maybe they were casually dating. So they haven't built up these emotional skills to be in a healthy relationship. And so many of my girlfriends now, um, we're in our 30s, they feel like some of the guys our age are like children, like they haven't evolved past the 23, 25 year old mentality. And a lot of women are asking themselves like, do I even want to bother like Do I want to teach this person? Is it worth that investment?
1: I think that's, I think that's super true. And I I mean, I I will say like men mature in relationship with love.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And so like, I think there is an element of teaching him, you know, and I know that sucks, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've joked with my girlfriends before. It's like all the past boyfriends we've had, we've trained them. So like if anyone gets married, it's due to our hard work, like women supporting women. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I I think that happens. And I've had a lot of women share with me, that I I feel like I, I feel like I trained my ex Mm. for his current relationship, you know? Mm. And I, I truly, I think that does happen, but One thing I would say about that is get involved in conscious community, right? Whether that's, you know, some kind of personal development. Like, for example, I met my wife through those seminars that I was sharing about earlier. So, you know, I was involved in in that environment and she Mm -hmm. came to do the thinking that's how we met. So like getting involved in conscious communities, whether it's going to seminars, whether it's going to yoga, whether it's going to different spiritual circles or doing breath work or, you know, there are so many different avenues, but if you can put yourself in a place where you're meeting men who are actually working on themselves, mm. you're gonna get a step ahead of the game there versus just, you know, going on the dating apps or going out to the bar or or whatever where right. confidential thing.
0: Right. Definitely. Wait outside a therapist's office, right? Look for the cute single guys. <laughs> so why is it that you recommend people would you recommend women going to these seminars specifically to look for a conscious dude to date, <laughs> or is it more a side effect of them also working on themselves and growing themselves?
1: Yes, you nailed it. Right, it, it, it has to be a side effect of doing the work. I mean, if, if you're doing it for, if you're doing it to meet someone, it's not going to work. You know, the the thing about that is the men in those environments are looking for someone who's also doing, it, mm-hmm. right? if you show up with that energy, if you're just trying to meet someone, it's it's not going to pan out well for you. So and I would honestly give the same advice to men, right? If they, if they mm-hmm. said, where do I meet a good woman? I'd say get involved in conscious community, mm-hmm. but don't go there to meet a woman, go there to work on yourself. And you'll meet lots of people, men, women, you'll make friends, you'll develop a network, you'll develop a community, you'll get invited to parties and barbecues and brunches and, and all these things. And, if you're involved in this way, then you're gonna have you know lots of opportunities to meet people. Like my experience in in dating was was very much this. Like I was I was involved in those seminars I told you about. I was involved in yoga, I was involved in a Native American church, um, I was involved in uh, there was a course in Miracles Group I went to once a week. Like there were there were just many avenues in my life that were very conscious and very healthy. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I made lots and lots of amazing friends. I had invitations constantly to go to a party or go out on a boat or go whatever. Right. Um, Actually the way, the way my wife and I connected. So we had, we had known each other through the trainings, just kind of casually, like we had seen each other around, but we never really talked or hung out. Mm -hmm. And then one I think it was a Friday morning, a group of people were getting together for brunch and we're on like this group messenger thread because we're involved in the thing together. You know, it was like, Hey, we're getting together for brunch. Who wants to come? And I was like, I'll go. And she was like, she'll go. And so we ended up sitting next to each other at brunch and we just hit it off and started talking. So it wasn't even like we met each other in the training, mm. right? We met at a completely outside event, but being involved in that is what connected us,
0: Right. So being involved in something that makes you grow and attracts the type of people that you would want to ultimately have a long-term relationship with.
1: That, what you just said, and being in the energy of like, I'm, I'm doing this because it brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Doing this because it uplifts me and fulfills me and, and mm-hmm. gets me excited and makes my life better and like, Going back to what we said earlier, not doing it to people, but doing it for those for yourself,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and enjoying all the connections that come with that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm reminded of all those Cosmos magazines of like five ways to find your next partner, and I think the solution that you're presenting is so much more nuanced and really about. A lifestyle that you're building towards, rather than a quick fix, which is why I assume a lot of people don't participate uh, in something like this. In the modern dating world, do you think that we are trending towards a society that is more? Conscious, and this is a very deep philosophical question that I'm throwing at you, but I'm sure you've thought about. Yeah, do you feel like the modern world is taking us further away from that, or closer?
1: That's an interesting question, and I, I mean, I, I do largely. I think, in the big picture, the world as a whole is becoming more conscious. You know, I mean, if you look at just not that long ago, I mean, a few hundred years ago, if you look at like the state the world was in and the state the people were in, or even if you just look at like. the the level of awareness and like the whole woke movement and Mm -hmm. things like the black lives matters movement and the the gay and trans movements. And, you know, like I think this is all an example of us becoming more aware, more accepting, more tolerant, more loving. Um, So largely I do think the world is moving in in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I I think we have a long way to go. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so there's, in in the dating world, I mean, I I think people are addicted to dating apps and it's probably, I don't, I don't say like to not use them at all, but I definitely say to like not use them very much. Right. Mm -hmm. So like 30 minutes a day, max, you Mm -hmm. you jump off, check your messages and maybe send out a few messages, but then you're done. Right. Like, you know if you want to be on dating apps and maybe have that door open, like hey I can meet someone here, and I'm open to it if, 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 like that's okay, but where your focus really needs to be is as you said, like creating that lifestyle
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: and and I think it that really comes down to a question of self love
2: mm-hmm. is
1: like you know just to, to spend hours every night on a dating app just just hoping to get a connection with someone and you know, nine times out of ten, you end just feeling empty and lonely and disappointed by your experiences. Subjecting yourself to that over and over and over again, in my opinion, is, is an expression of self-hate.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: to really love yourself enough to make a higher choice for yourself, right? And it's, it's not about getting a relationship, but it's about I'm gonna I'm gonna live a life that I love, with or without someone. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be the highest version of myself with or without someone else. You know, I I think there's a a general awareness that if I become the highest version of myself, I'm much more likely to attract someone, right? Like, and and attract a very high quality person. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, I'm not saying to do one at the expense of the other, but I'm saying rather than like lowering your quality of life, Mm -hmm. desperately try to get someone to love you, raise your quality of life to the maximum degree, let this obsession about finding someone go and trust the outcome.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that we, we need to start loving ourselves enough to do that. That I think is probably the biggest hurdle in the dating world. Right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, are we becoming more conscious? I think so, but, but it's slow. And I think right. the thing that's going to make us more conscious is more and more people choosing to love themselves
0: that way. There's a lot of doom and gloom, especially when it comes to our news cycles. But I look back to my parents' generation um, and just seeing that they didn't have the resources or even the words to really articulate some of these ideas um, does give me hope for the future. And I was wondering, since you and your wife met at these conscious spaces, um, you guys are both at a higher frequency when you guys met, and I'm sure have continued raising each other's frequencies. Have there been moments where you guys have had to put your conscious love into practice? Like, What have you guys done, whether it be now or in the past, to keep yourselves on those higher frequencies?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great question because I I, I think, and again, people are becoming more conscious. I don't think they believe as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. But there, there was this like big idea that when I meet the right person, it's just going to be like sunshine and rainbow forever,
0: <laughs> happily ever after. Roll credits. <laughs> yeah. And that is so
1: not the way it is. And so, you know, my wife and I started our relationship long distance. Um, mm. so I lived in South Florida, and that's where the trainings were happening. And she was traveling down from New Jersey to do the trainings, and so you know, for the first three years, we were long distance and I mean, that was incredibly challenging. We we almost broke up like 20 times and you know, like really hard to work through all those uncomfortable feelings. And you know, does this really have potential or Mm -hmm. are we going to, are we going to invest all this energy just ultimately have us get lost in our separate lives and lose interest in each other. Right. Like there there was all this stuff going on. Like it was hard, you know, those, those three years were tough. And I would say, By the end of the three years, we actually got in a great rhythm and it wasn't hard anymore. But that was a result of all the work we had done maybe in that first year and a half or so, right? So from the beginning, we were doing a lot of work. And fortunately, you know, being in a conscious community and having done this work on ourselves and, you know, my wife, before I even met her, she had been to India twice. And she had been involved in the Bhakti community in New York City for years, and, and you know, she'd been involved in yoga, and so you know she had been living kind of a parallel life to what I was living, and we had both been doing a lot of work on ourselves, so I think the work we did prior to being together really set us up to have this relationship, but then we've done a lot more work since we've been in this relationship, too. There was long distance, then there was finally moving in together after long distance, <laughs> which by the way, happened right before the lockdown. Oh, my and God. So, Imagine going from living on opposite ends of the country, moving <laughs> in together and then being in lockdown.
0: Yeah. And then, one extreme to another.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that was challenging. And then, um, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple of years ago. And like, that was just a major challenge where mm. I got into therapy and just had a ton of stuff to work through around all of that. So, I, I mean, just to answer your question, like, yes. And it's, People say it and you hear it, but I don't think it really lands for a lot of people. Like conscious relationship is hard work. There are a lot of people who don't do that work and ultimately they just grow apart and separate. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who don't do that work, but they just stay together. And a lot of times people look at someone and they go, oh, they've been together 35 years. What an amazing marriage. It's like, well, they haven't really been intimate for the last 20. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of resent each other. And, you know, like they feel like, I, like this relationship has let me down, and it's not what I thought it would be, and and they just have kind of like a resentment and, mm. and just like a uh, like disappointment in their relationship and their life overall, and they just stay together because staying together is easier than separating. I, I think if you don't do the work in your relationship, you're either going to separate or you're going to end up in a situation like that. Mm. But to really have like a deep, loving, intimate relationship, it requires you really doing that.
0: And what do you mean by that work? I think it's a, people have heard it before, but everyone attributes that word to something different. So what does work mean to you?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, You said something earlier about dating. You were like, you know, it's it's so much easier to like not be my true self Mm. and have them reject that Mm. versus being my true self and then being rejected for that, right? And I think that is largely what the work is. And you know, when you're dating, like there's one version of being your true self when, when barely know, right. And you're just being as authentic as you can with someone you barely even know. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But then I think the the more time you spend with someone, the more closely you live with someone, Mm -hmm. the more like you have to choose to continue opening yourself up to them. Mm Or kind of hiding yourself from you.
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and the reality is, is like, when you continue to open and open and open and open, the other person isn't always going to like what's there. Mm. And so there are going to be things that, you know, I mean, hopefully in, in a healthy relationship, they, they should like most of what's there. There are going to be difficulties in that too. Right. Right. So it's this, this commitment to like constantly open yourself in the relationship that, Constantly bring your truth to the relationship. You know, talk about right. things that are okay with you, things that are not okay with you, things that you're struggling with, things that, and and when you don't see eye to eye on certain things, and okay, you know, I feel this way about it, you feel that way about it, but we don't want to end our relationship, and we don't feel that this is a big enough issue to end the relationship. So how are we going to handle this?
2: Mm.
1: And I think, I, I hope I'm communicating this clearly, but. Like that just opens up so many different kinds of worms
2: mm.
0: that
1: it's it's so much easier to just not deal with that stuff. Right. Right. It's so good. much easier to just like my wife, um, she was married once before she met me. And she talks about how in her previous marriage, you know, she would try to talk about like real things and try to like work on stuff. Mm-hmm. And she would be like why are you bringing this up? Like, let's just be happy. Right. You know, and, and he'd be like, let's go on vacation. Let's go out to dinner. Like it was, it was always about like, let's just have a good time. Mm-hmm. But at, at the expense of operating over things that like, she was really feeling in a deep way that like, like she needed to deal with. Right. And he just, for you know whatever reason, wasn't in a place where he was available. For that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to not be available. It is, and you know, it's it's scary to deal with that stuff. It's, yeah, you know, it brings up a lot of uncertainty. Like, you know, if we're having these challenges, what does that mean about our relationship? Are mm-hmm. we going to be able to through this? Like, it brings up a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty. Um, but yeah, that's that is the work, right? I think is, that is a
0: very good knowledge. explanation. Um, that bravery of constantly being vulnerable, especially if the person, you know, they won't (laughs) want to hear it and still opening up and committing to the idea that, Hey, I want to be with you for a long time. So it's going to happen again, whether we talk about it or not. So why don't we try to figure this out and actually make a difference? That is a beautiful note to end on. Thank you for your time and being so vulnerable and sharing all these aspects of your life.
1: Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me and awesome questions. I really really enjoyed it. So thank you.
0: I'm glad. Uh, And if people are looking for you, where can they find you?
1: You can always go to thelivingrelationship.com. That'll that'll get you in my website. Instagram, at thelivingrelationship. There's an underscore between so the living relationship with underscores um, YouTube the living relationship a podcast is the conscious love show so I would love to have people come check me out on the podcast okay. and uh, yeah those are probably the best places to find me if that's you're
0: looking. yeah and I'll make sure to list it all in the show description so that's easy for people to find you but yeah thank you so much for being on
1: awesome thank you so much for having me to love
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed, please send this episode to a friend who could use the advice or someone who would have a great listen. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at self help junkie pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.